0: Hello again, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Crossed Up a Phillies podcast. It's August 1st, and the Phillies are in first place. Unbelievable. We cannot believe that we're saying that today, and yet there's still so much to talk about, so much to break down after a dreadful weekend in Cincinnati, a more uh, interesting and, and better, I guess, two game series in Boston, the trade deadline. Looking forward to the uh, final two months of the season, where we are going to have a pennant chase. It's got it's it's an unbelievable time to be a Philadelphia Phillies fan and a follower of this team. And Bob Wankel and I are excited to be here to uh, to bring you all of our takes and all of our insight into this Phillies team. I'm your host Anthony Sanfilippo at AntSanPhilly San Philly on Twitter, joined as always by Bob Wankel, F- Crossing Broad Phillies writer at BW Crossing Broad. Bob, let's start right away with the game tonight. Uh, we're, we're recording on actually technically July 31st, but by the time you hear it, it'll be August. Um, the Phillies beat the Boston Red Sox tonight 3-1 to one, uh, behind a uh, solid pitching performance by Jake Arrieta, who's been really good in the month of July. Um, had some uh, interesting offense. Uh, Mike Calfranco, who's been on fire, still hitting three more hits tonight. Uh, Roman Quinn, who got the start over Oduble Herrera, had three hits, including a double. Uh, Jorge Alfaro had a solid game at the plate Um, so there was uh, there were some positives real positives to take away from these two games in Boston which they should have swept uh, were it not for some miscues yes in the game the first game of the series Um, but uh, you know and now you add some pieces at the deadline so this is uh, this is an interesting time to be uh, following the fills.
1: They are 10-5 and five overall in interleague play. Uh, they were a no-duble Herrera misplay in center field last night, uh, being Monday night, from taking two games from a team at Fenway Park that's 40 games over five hundred. And, you know, so you can look at it that way and you look at what the starters did in this series, which I think is probably the most – Uh, encouraging thing that happened or emerged from this series up in Boston. You saw Aaron Nola dominate this Red Sox lineup over eight innings. You saw Jake Arrieta come back tonight with an impressive seven-inning performance in which he allowed only one earned run, no walks, seven strikeouts, and only six hits. And these two guys for the series pitched a combined 15 innings And only allowed two earned runs, and when you get into high-stakes baseball in August, September, and if you make the postseason and you're going up against better offenses, when you see what these guys did in in these two starts this week or at the start of this week, you have to say to yourself, okay, we've got something to work with here. We've talked about this all year. This team has been built on its starting pitching. Its success has been based around its starting pitching, and if they are going to reach the postseason, it's going to be because of this starting pitching. And boy, did they step up over these two games in Boston. And, and that's what I'm most excited about. Uh, what I'm not so excited about is the fact that they, they produced six runs in their last four games uh, and only four runs in the two games in Boston. The offense continues to struggle. Uh, I know they had the seven-home run outburst in Cincinnati in the opener of the four-game set, but then they went radio silent. And it, it, Again, it just continues to be a very inconsistent offense. I know they've made upgrades here recently. The bench has gotten better since the last time we spoke. They obviously went out and signed as or, uh, traded for as Drupal Cabrera. All of these things help, but uh, it's still it's still tough to watch this offense uh, as a collective whole right now. yeah, it, it
0: is and uh, you know even though they, like you said they made upgrades and we'll get into the we'll get into the trades in a little bit. I, I'm not sure that they make enough of a difference on the offense. I think they make an improvement there is a, an improvement, but I don't necessarily think that you're going to suddenly see uh, this potent offense come out of nowhere. Uh, because of these these uh, moves that the, that the Phillies made uh, going into the trade deadline. Um, and, and we should point out that uh, there is you know just because the, today was the trade deadline, the 31st was the trade deadline doesn't mean that trades can't happen in August. they certainly can. It's just a little bit different uh, how the process works. Um, players have to cle- uh, go on waivers and then um, if a team claims them uh, on on the waiver wire, Then the two team—that's the only team that you can trade with. Like you can't, you can't field multiple offers for a player. So you throw a player out there uh, uh, on uh, revocable waivers and say, "Okay, can you know who wants? If anybody's interested, they make a claim, and then you can work out a deal." Um, That's the only way trades can happen in August. But a lot of times, guys get moved in that in that vein. So I think that there were a couple of teams uh, at the deadline who didn't do anything. Because they weren't sure if they wanted to be buyers or sellers, ended up being neither, um, and very well may try and move guys down the road. So the Phillies still have some other opportunities to even tinker some more, and they haven't—they didn't give up anything. Um, that's the one positive in, in the trades that they made. They didn't really give up anything, um, but yes, g- going, getting back to the game is—I you know, I tend to go off on a tangent, but getting back to the game, yeah, th- this offense still doesn't—it just doesn't impress me, and I, it, it's weird because Reese Hoskins has been good. Mike Calfranco Franco has been an unbelievably pleasant surprise.
1: Yeah, he was on base four times tonight. Uh, he hit three thirty in the month of July. He yeah. was thirty for ninety one uh, during the month. So I mean he's been out of his mind and Hoskins has been out of his mind, but it just it hasn't materialized in terms of consistent run production.
0: Yeah, it really hasn't. And it's and in a lot of reasons it's because guy other guys aren't getting on base for them. It really when you think about it. I mean, that's what it's that's what it is. I mean Cesar Hernandez it still has a, a, a quality on-base percentage, but he's, it's more because he's walking and less because he's hitting. And so I'm not certain that he's on-base enough in front of Hoskins. And if you're going to bat him too, that's really the only guy you can rely on because you're not going to rely on the pitcher to get on um, in front of you. And, and whoever's batting in that eight hole, Scott Kingery, I mean, come on. <laughs> He's it's not funny that you all. mentioned
1: Cesar Hernandez. He had a, a decent weekend in Cincinnati. Actually, he did. Had he had a s- real nice weekend he had in Cincinnati. Six, six hits in Cincinnati yeah, he did. Uh, over over that four-game series. A little bit of an arbitrary, I guess, sample size here, but against the Dodgers uh, at Citizens Bank Park last week and in this two-game set at Boston, he was a combined 0 for 18. Um, and so I don't want to make any sweeping judgments and I I don't want to say well he obviously you know he can't rise up in the important games you know that's not what I'm trying to say but when you look at the struggles that the offense had at times in those games against the Dodgers especially early on in that series uh, and and then the offensive struggles that they had here in Boston it's tough to consistently generate run production when your leadoff guy doesn't reach base and and you're right to that extent We've been critical of Carlos Santana at times this year. Um, early in the year, it was easy to kind of pick at Michael Franco, um, Aaron Altair, Scott Kingery has certainly gotten a lot of our attention on the show, but... We are starting to reach a point now where I, I look at Hernandez and I say, "You have Asdrubal Cabrera here, and if if you don't want to sacrifice that defense because Cabrera is so bad defensively, negative eighteen defensive runs saved according to fan graphs, at second base this season, so you don't want to slot him in over at shortstop, then maybe he starts to take a few starts away from from Hernandez." And I, and I know that that's nuts, and you don't want to, you know, I. I would be reluctant to remove my leadoff hitter from a first-place team in the beginning of August, but I just wonder if he can't get it going – and he continues to struggle the way that he did in July, in which he only hit 244 with three extra base hits for the month. He slugged under 300 uh, for the month of July. And I know he was a little bit banged up and he had a foot injury, but he's got to get it going. They, they do need a little bit more out of him. And I, I do wonder if he continues to struggle, uh, if Cabrera starts to maybe take some starts away from him uh, at, at second.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's a possibility too because – it's he. It's interesting. Like you look at, you know, he's still getting on base. Three, you know, three seventy three entering the game tonight. It was his on base percentage, which you know matches his career best from a year ago, and should, it's really consistent over the last three years. Three seventy one, three seventy three, three seventy three. So that's so that's good, um, but his. Batting average is 25 points lower than it usually is his slugging percentage is the lowest it's been in the last three years So his OPS is the lowest it's been in the yeah, last three years. Yeah, it dropped from uh,
1: 792 last year or 793 a year ago to 741 after tonight's game in which he was over 4. So
0: yeah. I mean that's that's a so significant that, I mean, drop It is it's, it is a significant drop To drop almost you know to drop fit more than 50 points in OPS so I mean that's that's something, and that's it's just showing you he, he's not making good contact. I think he's he's one of the guys who's up there in weak contact, as a matter of fact, the most weak contact in baseball, um, and that's that's not a good thing. And so yeah, you're right. I mean maybe Cabrera is going to get some starts there too, which means Kingery's going to you know still play. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean look, I don't I hate ripping I know you do too I hate ripping Kingrey but he is just yeah it feels just lost it feels man
1: cheap. it kind of just it feels lame you know you're picking yeah. on a, a 23 24 year old kid who's who's in his rookie season and I don't know I mean I just and I always qualify by saying I think he's going to be a really good player I, I have a lot of confidence in him moving forward but uh, you know he's at an OPS right now at 600 and uh, he's sinking this team he does not get on base he's constantly behind in the count. Uh, and he, he looks lost. He just consistently looks lost. Even when he has a game where he has a couple balls that he squares up and you say maybe this will get him going, maybe he'll kind of he'll get his footing here and take off, it just doesn't materialize. And so it, it continues to be a very frustrating and disappointing season for him. And, and the thing is this win tonight I think really loosened both of us up a little bit. You know, it was a, it was a really difficult stretch of games to take in over the last few days here. Um, but when you look at a team that is struggling to score runs, the way that the Phillies are, we, we can't come on here and just say, well, you know, Reese Hoskins is really, he's kicking ass lately. and he I mean, he is. He's been out of this world. Uh, you know, he, again, one for three tonight, two walks. He's been an on-base machine uh, over the last two weeks, really, post-All-Star break. Um, he's been good. Nick Williams, tough game tonight, but he's really emerged here uh, as of late. Michael Franco's been excellent. They're getting some production from the catcher spot between Alfaro and Nap who's been better offensively over the last month or so as well. So when you look at the individual parts you say well no one man is really killing them maybe outside of Kingery but it just it hasn't resulted in in the offense that this team will need over the final 50 plus games. To push their way into the postseason and so you, you kind of have to start poking at certain guys is cesar hernandez having a terrible season no is is carlos santana having a terrible season no i, I you know we all understand the value of the walks and not making outs but I thought Carlos Santana killed this team on Monday night. In addition to the Herrera gaffe in center field, Carlos Santana came to the plate in three different critical spots, both early in the game, in the ninth, and in extra innings, and he failed to get the job done. And And, and you need that guy to do it. And I know he had a big knock late in the game that gave him a security run uh, or an insurance run tonight, but they, they just need stuff like that more out of him. This It's a very disjointed offense right now.
0: It, it is, and, and I'll tell you that it, it- – the thing that bothers me about this, and this is, it's gonna make me sound old again. And I, I appreciate guys who walk, like I do. I always love, I, I go back to my youth and I really always liked guys who walked. I thought because if you had a good eye at the plate, it means you had a good approach, it meant that you, know, you were probably going to be you know a, a solid player for the team. So I, I don't discount the walk. But I think that this team has fallen in love with it a little bit too much and it, it, it you look at it so if everybody's walking well it takes four walks to score um, a run but if so yeah okay guys are walking you need guys to hit well they're not hitting and that's the that's the thing and so we says when we hear people say well batting average doesn't matter I uh, I get it <laughs> I get why you say that but when you're not scoring runs it's because you're not hitting that the batting average does matter so it does bother me that Carlos Santana is hitting 211. Yeah, I, I don't want to hear that oh the batting average is not important. He's got 81 walks, 62 RBIs. His OPS is 751. It's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, okay. But he's batting cleanup <laughs> on a team and hitting 211. You can't do that. You know, that's that bothers me. That really does. And and I don't, you know, I I I'm I'm just I'm just frustrated by by that, and I think that's a, that's again, this is not a Phillies problem; it's a baseball problem. <laughs> but we, I say that I think I've been saying that now every week for like six weeks. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's that's why we that's why the Phillies offense is what it is. It's it's home run, walk, strikeout. That they're the only three things that this team does with consistency. And something has to you got to find something in the middle there. You can't just have those three.
1: I feel like I'm about to go full heel on, on Carlos Santana. Like, it's it's becoming personal with me and Carlos Santana. He comes up in the third inning last night, and the Phillies are ahead 1-0. And they have runners on first and third. And he's up against David Price, who he's been very successful against throughout the course of his career. And he gets a pitch on the outer half. And, and obviously you're looking for a fly ball in this situation. Get the run in. You got your ace on the mound. He looks like he's got his good stuff. And instead of getting that sack fly or squaring up a line drive, he hits a chopper. I mean, he just rolls over on an outside pitch and hits a weak chopper to third base and then and then Reese Hoskins and Herrera get themselves into a, a base running mess and it turns into a double play inning over. And no, it's not Carlos Santana's fault that that Hoskins and really namely Herrera botched that that sequence, but I need supposedly one of my best hitters in that spot to come up and get the job done and it's just it's little things like that that drive me crazy and you can talk all you want about walk production and i know that i'm i'm using one specific example here to make my point and and that can be unfair but i feel like that this is a reoccurring thing with carlos santana where you need that to move that runner over to generate or scrape out that run or to, to knock in a guy with a fly ball in an rbi situation i feel like he fails in that spot quite a bit and that's what frustrates me about him and i don't mean necessarily when there's runners on first and second and one out and he takes that walk to extend the inning, or if there's a runner on third with one out and he takes a walk, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about his in-play production. I mean, you look at the 214 batting average or whatever it is, that, that's not happening by accident anymore. And, and the reason that that's happening is because he's just not squaring up as many baseballs as he was even in the beginning of the season when he was running into all that bad luck. You know, there haven't been a ton of balls that Carlos Santana has hit over the last month, month and a half, where you've said, Got robbed on that one. You know, bad luck on that one. There's a lot of weak ground outs to the right side. Just a lot of weak contact. And, and that's my concern here watching him. And that's what makes it so frustrating. They need to be better in those spots. And, and namely, I believe that a guy that's been around, that's a veteran leader, the, I think a, a really important piece of this offense when he's right, they need more out of him in order to maximize this team's offensive potential. He's got more walks than hits and and that yeah you know and it, it, for an everyday fine. player that's that's fine that's, i mean
0: no it, no but it's not to me see, i don't think it is see, fine. It's, it's
1: fine if if it's fine if you're you're using him as a table setter it's fine if you have him down in the lineup because the, the value of on-base, I understand it, I get it, and that's the thing. I, I'm not telling you that Carlos Santana sucks, I, and I think that that's what happens like on Twitter, and I know that we live in this social media age, but everything goes back to Twitter arguments now, and he has become one of the most polarizing players that I can remember in this team's recent history. It's either you love Carlos Santana because you are a baseball savant and you understand the inner workings of the game, and, and you can appreciate the art of the walk, or you hate Carlos Santana because you're an idiot and you don't get baseball and the truth is it's somewhere in between I mean this guy has several shortcomings as an offensive player right now but yes he does get on base so it's not that he stinks it's not that he's garbage or trash or that they need to trade him you know or or bench him that's that's not what I'm saying but what I am saying is that he hasn't been that good and if you think that this has been good uh this season and forget the contract forget the 20 million dollars I mean that's irrelevant to this conversation. Well, they, they, just need, they need more than this, though.
0: Yeah, and I'll say, so the argument that you have to give back to the people who will defend him to the hilt because of his, you know, how much he walks and he has good on base, I say this to you. Right now, in 2018, he is having the worst year of his career based on OPS. It's the lowest OPS he's ever had, Ever. And nine seasons in baseball. So something's not right. You're not getting the Carlos Santana that you expected. Now, I, the people who say, oh, he should be a two, 275, 280 hitter, they're clueless because he never hit higher than 268 in his career. Right. And he's a lifetime 246. He's that, a lifetime yeah, is 246 not hitter. Okay. So that's, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. You can't expect that. But you, sure, you certainly can expect a better slugging percentage than 401. You certainly should be expecting a better batting average than two eleven. You know, you sure, certainly should be expecting more than thirty six extra base hits going into August. He had thirty seven doubles alone last year. <laughs> then he had twenty three home runs on top of that. So he's he's only he's got he had one more double all of last year than he's has in complete extra base hits to this point this year. And I know it's not a full season yet, but I mean, that's just, it's, it's kind of indicative. He's not going to touch 30 doubles this year. He used to, he's basically averaged 30 doubles a a year for his career. He's got 18. He's not going to get 30. He might get 22, 23, 24, maybe 25, 25. Probably is where he's going to finish with doubles. The, The
1: way a pitcher attacks a hitter is, is one variable in how many walks a guy will draw. You know, Obviously, if you're an ultra-productive hitter, pitchers are going to be a little bit more careful. And if you can show that patience, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to work a walk. It's not quite that simple. It's also fouling off pitches, staying alive, um, really knowing how to read borderline pitches, which I think he's very good at. I I would say that that's certainly a strength of his. He lays off a lot of close pitches that are off the plate, and, and that's something that you can certainly credit him on. I do wonder, however, if pitchers start to say, we are going to attack him because at the end of the day, he's a, a 214 hitter. He has hit for some power at times. I mean, if you make a mistake, he can get you. But I do wonder if, if teams are going to say, let's try to limit his walks because we've seen that he has not been very productive on balls in play this season. He just hasn't been. So I would be curious to see if, if as we get deeper into the season here and, and these games start to matter a little bit more, I'm. I just. I wonder if if there's going to be a more aggressive approach in how the opposition goes after him. And again, I know that that's only part of drawing walks, but at this point, would you really be scared of Carlos Santana? Because I don't think I would.
0: Well, well, no, I'm not. But let me ask you. Let me ask you this. And we talked about this before. And maybe that this is now really the time to do it. Would you switch him and, and Hoskins in the lineup?
1: So. I'm going to use your argument against you, an argument that you made earlier in the season. I'm, I'm going to actually use it against you. He's been Go so good lately in the two hole, and there's clearly some level of comfort there. Okay. And if you believe that, then I would be I would be reluctant to to change it. No, to change I, I, it, I get it. Switch it, it at and this point, you know? That's fine. But, but theoretically, yes. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to drop him down the lineup a slot or two. Yeah, I mean. I just
0: want – if if the one thing that Santana is doing well is walking, really, and that's really – I mean, yeah, all right, he's got 16 home runs, but he's he's 81 walks. Okay, so that's the thing he's doing well. Why then isn't he at the top of the lineup?
1: I think the, the question then becomes, though, who are you protecting him with? Are you protecting him with then Michael bat Franco? Th-
0: I would bat Hoskins third then.
1: Okay.
0: Right? I mean, no, why not? I mean, it's one spot difference.
1: And you're leaving you, and, and then who's hitting fourth in this in this scenario?
0: You can bat Franco fourth the way he's hitting. You can bat you can bat cabrera fourth if you want. You know, maybe whatever. this is unfair,
1: I mean, but like I, I'm I'm kind of treating Franco like he's very fragile. You know, he was on base <laughs> four times tonight. Guy's got an eight oh eight OPS, all of a sudden he's hitting two eighty. He's been awesome. I mean, he has been so important to this team's success, and clearly you're starting to see him go the other way. More yeah. consistently, he's he's starting to you know reach base on ground balls at a higher frequency because he he's willing to hit the other way. He's he hasn't been the same predictable hitter that he was over the past two years leading into this season. But I, I don't know. Are we really ready to put Mike Franco into the cleanup spot? Well, uh, you know, I, let's put, that's, since, that's June, you since June 20th, since June twentieth since
0: June twentieth best batting average, best on base percentage of any third baseman in Major League Baseball. Since June twentieth, so you're talking over a month. You're talking almost six weeks worth. That's got to be what a 140 at bats. I know it's just, it's um, it's you know it's it's not it's not a small sample size, but it's not the full season. But at the same time, it's a, it's a good stretch. It's a lengthy stretch, and he's the best third baseman in base, and that's ahead of guys like Arenado, who's been awesome this year. Right? I mean when you think about that, just think about how good he's been. Yeah. Um, and, and so why not? I mean,
1: if, and look. Yeah, and if, why not? Because the, 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 for the greater good, it's not like the, the offense as a whole is is clicking or firing on all cylinders. So for the greater good, maybe you do right. need that shakeup. When I just look at the individual, I go, do I really want to mess with what's been a, a positive formula for that individual player? Yeah, that's I, the I, only thing that makes me a little and, and reluctant that's, to that's
0: And that. that's fair, but my argument back for that, Bob, is this. He's he's been all over the lineup. When you look at it, when you go back and look, you know the top four guys have been mostly consistent. You got uh, Hernandez, Hoskins, Herrera, Santana. That's been on most nights, unless one somebody's getting a rest or has been injured. That has been the top four guys in the Phillies lineup. But five through nine has been pretty volatile still, and and, and that's so. And I I would venture to say that Franco has probably been all over that lineup in, in comparison. So, I mean, that's – now, I'm, I'm going to look up his splits right now by by where he bats in the lineup, and I'm going to bet you it's pretty even. Uh, maybe not eight. I mean, he did bat eight a little bit, but uh, here we go. Um, going in – this does not include tonight. Entering to, uh, entering tonight, he had 80 plate appearances in the five hole, 116 in the six hole, 87 in the seven hole, 39 in the eight hole. <laughs>
1: It's been, He's been all over that. So, has the production it, fluctuated in, in those spots? I mean, is there any so wild f- variation?
0: Uh, yeah, yes and no. Yes. I mean, but not – so his best spot has been eighth, but it's only 39 plate appearances. He's hit 394 batting in the eight hole. Wow. Um, and batting sixth, he's hitting 291. Um, batting seventh, 272. So it's not a huge difference there. Batting fifth, he's hitting 211. Okay. So that's the that's the so yeah is, is there I mean is there a disparity between three ninety four and two eleven, yeah, but I mean we're not talking a lot of plate appearances either so sure um,
1: but yeah I mean that's I mean so it's that's something what to th- think about I mean I just don't know you know if you if we would have gone back to, and, and let's say we recorded this thing on Thursday night what would that have even sounded like we would have said they had seven home runs tonight they tied a franchise record for home runs in a game they've won three straight they just took two out of three from the Dodgers. Unbelievable, right? I mean, like, that would be our vibe right now. But I I just think that we're also smarter than that. And and I think we also understand that this has been a season-long issue. And we see what this offense is also capable of or incapable of, if you want to put it that way, what we've seen recently. And I think that this is still a work in progress. I'm curious to see once – Cabrera gets consistent at-bats, and once Wilson Ramos, and we'll talk a little bit more about those guys later in the show, once these guys uh, start getting acclimated to Philadelphia and get consistent at-bats, what type of impact that's going to have in the lineup. um, You know, there is some hope here, uh, and and certainly the bench has gotten stronger, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But as it is right now, because we're not going to see Ramos at least for probably another two or three weeks uh, from what we understand here uh, with a bad left hamstring. He's still working his way back from that. This is what they have to work with and and right now They've just been fortunate, so fortunate that their starting pitching, uh, especially over these last two games, has just been otherworldly. Um, and it is a little bit of a concern. And I wrote about this a few days back. Over the first ten games post-All-Star break, ERA for the starting pitchers was like in the mid-fives. They were averaging just a shade over five innings per start. And it was starting to look like there was some some leaks starting to spring here um, and a little bit of regression from that group, guys like Nick Pavetta, Zach Eflin. Um, and Vales has obviously been really good. So it, it's really going to just come down to the, the starters and, and the guy that I want to just circle back to before we really take this thing forward is Arrieta. Um, really after just an absolutely horrendous June in which guy said that he's a bust and, and he's a bum and they, they should make a deal with the trade deadline and bump him out of the rotation and he called out his teammates and then he didn't produce. Well, here he is in July with a 4-0 record. Uh, and a 2.80 ERA. Um, he's 9 and 6 now in the season, 3.32 ERA overall. And I mean how do you feel about him moving forward? I mean, who is Jake Arietta? Is he is he the guy that was kind of inconsistent out of the gate, then had a big time. May, uh, he was lights out. He was he was terrible in June, but then he bounces back in July. I mean, should we? Do you think that we're going to start seeing a more consistent Jake Arietta or is it just going to be this roller coaster ride start to start for the rest of the season? No,
0: I think he's going to be consistent, and the reason I say he's going to be consistent is because I I I don't count April. Remember, he didn't sign till late, so he really didn't have a full spring training. Try to ramp it up, try to ramp it up real quick, and I think that. You know, April kind of, you know, caught up to him a little bit. And then in May, you got to see a really good Ariette. He was incredible in May. Um, so that kind of was like, okay, that's when he was ready. Then, yes, he struggled in June. And that was just, a, to me, it was just a bad month. It was a bad string of games. But the fact that he is a veteran guy and knows how to overcome those kinds of slumps, and you see it with, with his six starts in July, how good he's been. I, I think that, you know, if you look at it, let's just not count April and just look from – from May through July, and that includes a bad month in there. I think that overall, that's what you're going to get out of Arrieta. I think that's and, and as the games get bigger, I also think he's a guy who knows how to pitch in those in those environments. And so when he's throwing against like the Boston Red Sox, to, like he did like he did uh, in the final game of the two game series in Boston, I think that's when you get to see what Arrieta his makeup really is yeah numbers Um,
1: aside I I just think he's a bad man I I think he's an ass kicker you know (laughs) I really do and I I just kind of think um you just take the numbers completely out of it I think he's starting to sniff it I I think he's starting to sniff the postseason he knows it's within sight and I think he went out there tonight and said I don't care who I'm facing I don't care where I am I've been here before this is why you brought me here enough's enough You know, just get me two runs, and we'll win this game. And that was really his mentality. I'll tell you what the most impressive thing was about him tonight. He goes out in the sixth inning, and he gets himself into a little bit of a jam. And he got some defensive help. Nick Williams made two outstanding plays in right field. And Michael Franco actually made a really nice play going to his left as well in that inning. Some hard hit balls, defense backed him up, and it looked like maybe he was going to be done after six innings. And he goes back out for the seventh, and he's dominant. And it shortened up that bullpen. Uh, they've gotten quite a bit of work lately. It, it took the ball out of their hands for an extended period of time tonight, uh, coming off the 13-inning game on Monday. It was just it was so clutch. It was so big time. And it really, I think, is a tone setter. And I think that that's the type of thing that a young team can feed off of. You, you have to look to guys, the few guys that you have that have been down this road before, and say, You've got to show us and I think that he made a statement tonight and, and maybe that's a little bit narrative based and maybe that's the the, the writer in me that, that is kind of creating that storyline and perhaps it doesn't exist. maybe it was just a guy that pitched a really good baseball game and and we all move on and it doesn't mean anything. but I think as I watched that tonight, him going back out for the seventh and just shutting it down, I said, damn you know that's that's big time right there. and I think that that's something that this team can really build off of.
0: Yeah, it is, and and look, I don't think that there's. I'm going to give the you know the manager and the pitching coach some credit here. I, I don't think that this was by accident that he had it set up that Nola and Arietta would pitch these two games in Boston. Um, I mean, they could have started those guys, you know, the first games out of the All Star break, and didn't. You know, Arietta. I mean, uh, Nola actually got like really extra rest. He was the he actually was the fifth starter. Didn't pitch till the fifth game after the All-Star break. Um, so it, it, it's really kind of interesting how he had it set up. And I, I would bet that you're going to see a, n- a number of other important matchups down the road where Nola and Arietta are the guys that the, the Phillies are going to lean on. And, that, you know, and that's no knock on the way Velazquez is pitched, um, or Eflin for that matter, but these are the two guys that the Phillies are going to try and ride to a division championship. And there's a reason for that, and, and you know, games like tonight are, are it. I mean, that's, you know, when you go out there and, you know, I mean, he wasn't perfect. He gave up, what, six hits, but he had seven strikeouts, and uh, even though he was in a little bit of trouble a couple of times, he got out of it. Red Sox were 0 for 13 uh, with runners in scoring position tonight. I think they were, what, 1 for 20 in the two games. Oh. That says a lot about the two guys, I mean, who threw 15 of those innings right i mean our, uh, nola eight innings on uh, on monday and Arietta seven innings on tuesday i think that says a lot about those guys and it's ultimately going to be um what you know what's going to get these the phillies to a, a playoff um if these you know if these guys can pitch like the phillies expect them to
1: so one thing I, I don't want to overlook, because we have talked a lot about the starting pitching, and, and rightfully so, and, and I know we've almost kind of glossed over Aaron Nola, um, and, and part of that is just the timing of the podcast and, and focusing really on the most recent event, but I don't think that there's really any more that we can say about him. I think that what you saw on, on Monday night demonstrates really what he is all about. Um, just so calm, cool, collected, worked his way out of a couple of tight spots in that game, He really, truly is. Without hyperbole, he's one of the three best pitchers in the National League uh, right now. You just group him, DeGrom, and Scherzer all together, and it's special what he's doing right now. This is one of the the better, if not one of the best, starting pitching performances that we've seen throughout the course of a season in the last – 25 years in this city, and, and it, I just don't, I don't think you can say enough about really how good he's been, and it's it's almost hard to talk about him sometimes because what what else is there really to say? I would love to make Aaron Nola a prominent part of our show, but what, what can you say at this point? He's he's great. He's, he's great on every level. He can miss bats. He, he has a, a filthy curveball. He can work his fastball by guys. The moment doesn't seem too big for him. Just, just another example of how good, how really, truly good he is.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's to me. I mean, look, Scherzer's having a great year, and Degrom's having a great year. I get it. And yes, you shouldn't. You know, when it comes to the Cy Young Award, it, you know, it it really shouldn't be. You, you shouldn't sit there and say, "Oh, well, he pitched for a bad team." Look, if you had a great year, it doesn't matter who you pitched for, right? You, you're deserving of it. But I will say this: it, there is something to be said when it's close when you're having it to, to say, you know, debate between a couple of guys, there's something to be said for guys who are pitching in games that matter versus guys that, that aren't. And if we still progress through the last two months of this season, it's still a little early yet to really, really dive into this Cy Young conversation. But if we're, you know, six weeks from now, we're sitting here talking about Nola in the same con- same breath as, as Scherzer and, uh, and DeGrom, statistically, how do you not – Consider Nola the lead guy because yeah. the Phillies the Phillies games matter that much more, you know, and 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 to do what he did to the best lineup in baseball, I mean they couldn't touch him, they really couldn't. I mean it, the one run that scored was should have been unearned. I mean the crazy rules of baseball that it doesn't count as an error because it didn't touch his glove, Herrera's glove in center field, makes it that you know Nola gets tagged for the earned run there when it should have been a lazy fly ball out. Um
1: let me just give you this real quick. Um, Scherzer is kind of the the presumed favorite to win the Cy Young right now in Vegas, and just in terms of the odds, he's he's the overall favorite. And uh, Degrom's actually number two, despite the fact that he's five and six. He's got five wins and twenty one starts, man. If that doesn't tell you how bad the Mets are, then I don't. Or a twenty four to five final score tonight uh, against the Nationals might have told you that too. But I mean, just how awful? How awful are they? Um, If you look at this, Scherzer has 14 wins. He's 14-5. and Nola's 12-3. and They both have started 22 games. Scherzer has thrown six and two-thirds more innings this season. Um, His walks per nine are are slightly less than Nola's, 2.18. Nola has 2.41 walks per nine. Uh, Nola has actually uh, allowed uh, uh, home runs more infrequently, 0.44 home runs per nine. Scherzer, 0.91 home runs per nine. Batting average of balls in play is identical, 257. Um, the ERA is almost identical. Scherzer's 230, NOLA's 235. FIP is exactly the same, 267 for both of them. And the War, Scherzer 4.8, NOLA 4.6. I mean, they're ne- neck and neck. Th- this thing has not been decided yet. And I do wonder, like you said, if, if, if the Phillies are the ultimate and eventual winner of the National League East and the Nationals continue to be a hot mess uh, that that's kind of has all this infighting and, and they fall well short. Um, as what was supposed to be the overwhelming favorite in the division um, I, I just I'm kind of curious I think the door is definitely open for Aaron Noll over the, the last nine or ten starts of the season to, to possibly walk away with that award it's it's not over I know that Scherzer is, is big with the strikeouts he's got 200 strikeouts even I think uh, this season. almost uh actually over 12 strikeouts per nine but the the door is definitely still open for nola in that cy young race
0: i agree i i agree wholeheartedly and i think that you know it will really come down to these final two months um and I you know as of right like if i'm if i'm doing it right now and this is this is no bias i I, to me it's got to go to nola right now
1: the other way i just when i look at the and i know strikeouts this year in in 2018 and the way that baseball is i know they're not as valuable but
0: everybody's everybody's striking people out i mean for god's sake they do the phillies just traded for aaron loop Uh, who's oh his best strikeout rate of his career well no no kidding everybody's got the best strikeout rate of their career now
1: (laughs) 200 strikeouts in 148 innings is wild uh you know yeah no it's it's definitely it's definitely i think a lot closer of a race than than really what it's being kind of pumped as, and I think that's more on a national level. You know, I just think that you look at Max Scherzer; he's he's got the pedigree, he's the name, and he's got the big fastball. And I, I still think that it's it's really just kind of perception that is driving the fact that he's the favorite to win this thing right now. So, well, that's what he, makes
0: that's what makes what Noel's doing all the more impressive, Bob, because he doesn't have the big yeah. big fastball right he's he's reminiscent of the you know the Maddox Glavin era of pitching when you were a pitcher when you're a pitcher's pitcher right I mean you didn't throw you didn't necessarily throw hard but you had great command and pinpoint control and that's how you and you would be you know deceptive enough to uh, keep batters off balance and and that's how you would win
1: yeah I mean to be fair Scherzer isn't exactly just a guy that gets up there and, and, and lets it rip I mean he he very good control, also. I mean, good location. But you, I understand what you're saying. I mean, Noel is a little bit more of like a, I don't know, he's a little bit more of an artist out there. You know, it, it does take a little bit more precision, I think, when you're you're kind of more in the 92, 93 range as opposed to pumping mid 90s. And,
0: and that's why I'm rooting for him. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's a Philly. I mean, obviously, I, I want to see him win because he's a Philly. But if it was, if we were talking about two pitchers, pitcher A and pitcher B, regardless of team, and you said to me one of them was a strikeout guy and the other guy was more of a control guy and they had identical numbers, who would I want to see win the Cy Young? I would pick the control guy every day. Because that's that's the kind of pitching that I like. I'm not I, I don't I, I just think fireballers flame out. Not that Scherzer's gonna flame out. I mean he's he's been excellent for several years now, but I just think in the grand scheme of things, fastball guys who throw made big time fastballs don't last very long for the most part. And I love a guy who can just go up there and just fool batters with with their other pitches and their other offerings. I just that to me is is the way pitching should be, you know. All right, so <laughs> so that's why I root for the that's why I root for those guys.
1: So I'm glad we're talking about Max Scherzer because uh, I want to talk a little bit about his team. Uh, I wrote today for uh, CrossingBroad.com a story that basically said. Obviously, it's not good that the, the Phillies went through a four-game losing streak. That's that's never going to be conducive to to winning or reaching the postseason in a tight division race. Um, I argued though, that this couldn't have happened at a worse time uh, ahead of the trade deadline. And, and the premise of the story was basically that they had the Nationals on the ropes. And they, with a decent weekend in Cincinnati and, and p- perhaps a win on Monday night, they could have separated themselves to the point where you're talking about eight nine game lead in the division. Um, There were some rumors out of Washington that they were preparing to sell off uh, different parts. I know that Gio Gonzalez is being talked about a little bit and there was even a rumor that kind of emerged early Monday morning in which Buster Olney said that if he had to bet Uh, whether or not Harper would remain in Washington through the end of the trade deadline, he would have said no, uh, that he would have been moved. So there was obviously— He was
0: betting his family farm. Yes,
1: the family farm that Buster only owns. And, I mean, there has to be something to that. That, That's not just complete rumor-mongering. I mean, there had to be some validity to that to some extent. So we know that the Nationals at least contemplated selling, selling off some of their veteran parts. But the Phillies didn't take care of business in Cincinnati, and they blew a a difficult game against the Red Sox. And now here we are, entering play tonight. Uh, The Braves, Nationals, and Phillies all win. So the Phillies remain five and a half games ahead of the Nationals and a half game ahead of Atlanta. To me, if I'm the Nationals, I look at this and say – the Phillies are a flawed team. We still have to play them uh, quite a bit uh, you know, th- throughout the remainder of the year. We- we're still going to get another head-to-head crack at them. They have shown some flaws here. This is a team that obviously can or is capable of going into prolonged stretches where they don't hit. We have a ton of talent. We have some decent starting pitching. Our offense has underperformed this year maybe we can, with a veteran presence, a group of guys that have been here before and been down this road before in playoff chases, we can get it going. And, and, and we see the Braves that, that are young and they're an upstart and there's obviously some talent there, but they've sort of just been treading water for the last month as well. And so now, instead of burying the Nationals and, and forcing them to sell off parts, is there just this maybe this thing in the back of their mind saying like this thing's wide open we can go get it and and you see them come out tonight and it's the Mets and it's one game but they scored twenty four runs tonight and do you look at that at all and go ah oh, shit you know the Phillies had a chance to knock these guys out and now they're getting back up off the mat is this something that we should be concerned about? Um,
0: well, always you should always be concerned uh, about it. You know, a team, especially a team that you expected to be you know so much better. Um, than they've been. I mean, I think the Nationals are actually 500 right now, right? Um, yeah, I believe they
1: got back to 500 tonight with that win.
0: With with their with their 25 to four drubbing of the Mets, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: is that what it was? 25 four? Did I say 25? 25, 25 yeah, to four. 25 yeah, it was
0: the worst 4. loss. Worst loss in, in Mets franchise history. Um, and as bad as they've had some bad teams there, that's pretty pretty so, uh, embarrassing. So Jose Reyes it,
1: didn't get it done. Jose Reyes, yeah. did forty pitches. Uh, I me. know,
0: right? Oh. Just so, just so you know, um, I remember. I'm going to go take you back. Um, I was a freshman in high school. No, maybe I was in eighth grade. Anyway, I forget. It was in the mid '80s. The Phillies played the Mets in a game, um, and I, I had I had uh, chicken pox. <laughs> and I was stranded in bed, couldn't go anywhere, and I remember watching. And it was the only time that I wasn't wanting to scratch, you know, all over my body. They beat the Mets twenty six to seven in a game. Oof. Von Hayes hit two home runs in the first inning um, <laughs> of the same game, um, and I thought, and I think, well, hey, geez, they scored twenty six runs. They, you know, they only gave up twenty five in this one. But they, I think they're saying it was the worst disparity run difference that's why it was the worst loss in Mets history that was 26-7 this was 25-4 um either way just get back to the point um but yeah the national. so the nationals um yeah I mean you know they are a team you got to be careful with because I mean everybody expected them to be uh, better than they are and so therefore there's a there is talent there that could you know flip the switch at some point and, and actually make the run that's necessary if you let them hang around long enough um however uh Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports had a story recently that had somebody from inside the clubhouse saying the clubhouse is a mess. Um, and and that's, that does not bode well for that team. Um, so when you hear that, when you have that kind of story coming out, that the clubhouse is, is a mess and it's a disaster, it makes me think that the only reason that the Nationals didn't make the trades that we thought they were going to, going to make or could make Uh, before the deadline was because of ownership that uh, Mike Rizzo, their general manager, was probably on the horn with a lot of teams. I mean, we do know for a fact that the Indians Indians reached out to him to ask about Harper, and they actually talked about it. That was reported out of Cleveland. That didn't even come out of Washington. Um, So there was definite conversations, and all the national guys were reporting – um, you know, the night before the deadline that, you know, Harper was available. <laughs> and so you're not going to have these national reporters who are really plugged in with all these teams suddenly all reporting the same thing and it not, not be true. Then all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, the Washington Post gets a text message from Rizzo that says, uh, Bryce Harper isn't going anywhere. Well, that sounds like the you know word got back to the ownership, and it was like, "Whoa, yeah, <laughs> you know, we're not doing, we're not gonna ruin the potential to get you know decent crowds in our ballpark for two months." <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to happen. You know, we're still technically in this race. I'll tell you what, a five hundred team going into August, five and a half games out, has it happened before? Yeah, can it happen? Sure. Is it going to happen? I don't think so. I don't. Think, I think this comes down to the Phillies and the Braves, ultimately, and whoever uh, ends up winning those those big games at the end of the year is going to be the team that wins this division. And I don't think Washington's even going to be in the conversation.
1: The only counterpoint that I would make on this is that the Nationals. Entered the day, and it's important that I I give you that note. They entered the day with a run differential of plus 38, uh, which was 17 runs better than the Phillies' plus 21. If yeah. you tack on the uh, 21 runs that they gained tonight in run differential, yeah. Nationals actually have the fourth-best run differential now in the National League at plus 59. Now, that's not the end-all, be-all, obviously, but you know historically that's something that people do look at when they evaluate the quality of a team. Keep in mind the Phillies won a game earlier this season 20-1, to uh, so they've almost played to an even run differential if you take out that game against the Marlins. So I look at this and I say, all right, well, the Nationals, in terms of run differential, have been a little bit better. When I look at the two rosters. And if I strip the names off the top, I kind of look at it and say, well, I would take the Nationals roster. And then I look at the fact that you've given this veteran team a little bit of life. And I say, I'm a little bit concerned about it. Now, if you look at Bavada, they released odds to win the National League East. And this was as of uh, this morning, uh, July 31st is when we were recording this they were plus 210 so basically 2 to 1 odds to win the division the phillies were plus 140 uh, which were the uh, the best odds or the most likely team to win the east and the braves were plus 175 uh, not much of a betting man these days but i i will tell you that uh, if i were a betting man i would possibly take a flyer on the nationals at 2 to 1 odds uh, as the third most likely team to win the East right now. Uh, It doesn't seem like a terrible idea. And part of the reason that I say that is if you look at Fangraphs, they do a formula based on current standings and and how they evaluate the overall strength of each team. And they currently give the Phillies a 41.8 chance uh, to win the division, uh, which is the best odds. But the Nationals actually come in second ahead of the Braves, well ahead of the Braves at 34.3%. So they do think that it's quite possible uh, that the Nationals can still win, and, and really their, their odds are much closer than what you would expect in terms of these uh, percentages given where they're at in the standing. So just something to think about. I, I'm not, you know, staying up at night and, and checking the, the national score on my phone 17 times a night, but I, I, I do worry about them a little bit, and I, I do lament the fact that the, the Phillies sort of kind of, I do think, hit, hit a bad stretch of baseball at an inopportune time.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could. You, I mean, your argument is not flawed by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the Nationals, I, I think that the reason the Nationals do have like major stretches in their schedule where they just play crap teams. <laughs> I mean, it, if you look at August and September, their schedule is kind of is kind of brutal. But I will say this: let's say, for example, after tomorrow, they've have the, they've close out the Mets series. They have four games against the Reds, and and we talked about the Reds last yeah, week. They are where, much better than than, than their how record they are indicates. Yes. yes, very good
1: yeah. bullpen and uh, some some pretty solid offensive parts for sure.
0: Okay, so they have four games against the Reds, four against the Braves, and then three against the Cubs. So their next eleven games could really dictate where the Nationals are. That's why I I sit there and tell you that it could get ugly. You know, it could get ugly before it gets better for them. Um, now, granted, they could make up some ground in there because they could, you know, they could very well, you know, take three or four from the Braves and then really kind of get back into it, you know. But, and, you know, and most of these games are at home. Uh, eight, the first eight, four against the Reds, four against the Braves, they're all at home. Um, and then they go to they go to Wrigley for three and then they go go to St. Louis for four. Uh, but then they, they got so many games left against the Marlins and the Mets. And, and that's the thing. I think, like. They have six more games this month against the Marlins and the Mets, and then you get into September, and uh, where are they at again there? I know they got they got the Mar- they got a Marlins, Mets, Marlins. That's a lot of Marlins. <laughs> Marlins, Mets, Marlins. At the end, they have two – Six nine games in a row against those two yeah. teams. So, so you know, this so, little
1: stretch that they have coming up here. I mean, if they can get through that, if they step up and, and rise to that occasion, I, I don't know. You know, it just,
0: yeah, but it, I mean, they do have they do have to play the Brewers and they do have to play the Cubs again, and they get the Phillies
1: and the Braves mm-hmm. on the road back to back in September. So that's a tough stretch. Team. We'll see. I mean, it just I think it's interesting though because it, at the very least, this was a team that people were talking about like they were completely dead like five or six days ago, and, and now I think they at, at the very least. You have to at least think about them.
0: Let's see where let's see where they are August thirteenth. Right. Let's talk about it in two we'll, weeks.
1: We'll check back in in two weeks on two, that. Two so, weeks,
0: we'll see where the Nationals are, yeah. and then we'll then we'll then we'll really have a, a a real feel for if this team can get back into the race or not.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, upcoming opponents, the Phillies have the Miami Marlins this week at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, it's a four game set. Alumni weekend. Marlins are going to come into that. Uh, probably 17, 16, 17 games under five hundred. They lost again tonight in Atlanta. Phillies are 18-21 and 21 against the National League East this season. Uh, that is something that's going to have to change in a hurry if they have any uh, designs of winning this division. Um, do, I, mean, do you've, I will tell you this. Uh, I, I don't know that, that this was a season-defining game tonight against the Boston Red Sox. I will tell you that I believe that this is a series that the Phillies have to win. I don't think two and two is good enough. I don't think three uh, out of four, you know, I'm sorry, I don't think that one out of four is, is, is going to be something that they can overcome. I think they have to actually go in and take care of business for, for multiple reasons. One, because this race is tight. Two, this is the type of series that you have to, you have to assert yourself. You have to assert your dominance uh, over weaker division foes, something that they have just not been able to do this season.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question. They get a weird Wednesday off, and then four game series against the Marlins. Um, and, and it's going to be, I think, you're going to get a, you're going to get good crowds this weekend because you got the you know you got Victorino retiring Friday night. You got the Halliday induction into the into the Wall of Fame Saturday, and Gillick. Um, there's also a uh, wiffle ball challenge with the. Um, World Series, the 2008 team. They're going to have a home run derby at Wiffleball. so I think that people will come see that. And then, of course, on Sunday they have the uh, uh, 10th anniversary celebration of the 08 team, and practically everybody will be there. I mean, minus minus Chase and and Ryan Madsen and uh, who else is still active? Is, <laughs> is Jason Jay, Jay Happ, I guess. Or, or they, uh, yeah, worth they is Worth is coming. They oh, there Worth. You go. Worth right. will be there, that's an interesting thing too to see what, like, how will they treat Worth finally coming back now as a retired player? Now he think, shows think, up
1: this weekend, I think the fans finally say, okay, you know, yeah, let bygones be bygones guy, with yep. him. Yeah, yep.
0: Um, so I think I think you're going to get great crowds this weekend, and it, th- this is an opportunity for them to really get the t- the city excited uh, about where they are. And you're, but you're right; it's important. You can't look past this team. Because then you go you you suddenly then go back out on the road again against a very good or you know team that's playing really well in the Diamondbacks. And then you go on the road to play the Padres who stink, but you did you did have some struggles with them a little bit when they came into Philly. And you wanna talk about going to a ballpark where nobody hits? Yeah. <laughs> nobody hits in San Diego, right? That's that's the greatest pitcher's park in the history of man. Um so and then you got the and then you got the Red Sox again. So it, you know, it, it's important that this four game series that they get. You know, they got to win three. I, you know, you would love a sweep, but you know, you can't can't expect them to win every game. Um, but yeah, you got. I think you got to win three or four. A split is not acceptable this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think you you look at the schedule through August fifteenth, and uh, it, it wraps up with two home games against the Red Sox. And like you said, it's the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, the Padres, and, and then two with the Red Sox there. Before they play the Mets at home for a four-game series, I I think five game series. Five game series, yeah, that's right. Uh, What do they (laughs) have a doubleheader on the sixteenth? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I I really, truly think if you can get to August fifteenth, if this team is in first place two weeks, two weeks from now, uh, I think you can honestly say, all right, um, there's there's a decent chance that not only can they they make things interesting, but I do think that they start to kind of emerge as the favorite to win the East, and and maybe convincingly so. I think this is a really difficult stretch. They're coming off a, a, a shaky stretch here, and, and how they rebound from it beyond tonight I think is going to be extraordinarily telling. Um, and we talked about it earlier this season. Whenever the Phillies have, have kind of stumbled and they look like they're heading south, they've really done a nice job of stabilizing themselves. So a uh, huge series this weekend. I, if you come out and you take three or four, or, or hell, even sweep, wouldn't that be something? But you come out and you win this a series and, and kind of say all right we're back we're good and and then you go back out on the road and see what's up I, September I think is extremely manageable their schedule is loaded with NL East uh, you know opponents and and it's going to be a lot of fun but these next two weeks are so critical for this team
0: I, I see I think you're dismissing the Braves too easily I, 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 I
1: am yeah I just don't think they're that good
0: well I'm I'm going to tell you that I think that they and we haven't even talked about the trade deadline stuff yet I think that they did a better job at the deadline in the Phillies.
1: Yeah, Adam Duval does it for you, huh? It's not just Adam Duval. I think that I. Th- yeah, I mean, oh, that's Darren just a O'Day. piece. I thought you'd do like Darren O'Day. I, Darren yeah, well,
0: O'Day, I mean, yeah. I think that they really did a nice job with the bullpen. It wasn't just Darren O'Day either. I mean, yeah, they got. Ball's a
1: decent pickup too. They okay. got
0: Brad Brack and um. Brack. and Johnny Venters. Brad Brack I mean,
1: stinks. <laughs> they got they Johnny Venters like Johnny Venters like. He's probably only like thirty-one, but I feel like Johnny Venters is like forty-six years old. <laughs> okay, how old is Johnny Venters? Let's I see yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Venters. I mean, he's thirty-three. I feel like Johnny, dude. Johnny Venters was. <laughs> he was born uh, six months before I was, and I'm. Yeah. I'm saying that he's like forty-six years old. Okay,
0: okay. so so but here's the, here's what here's what I really appreciate about what the Braves did, and it's very similar to what the Phillies did, but it just says to me that could the Phillies have done a little bit more. The Braves went out and got three bullpen arms, who I think are going to really make that bullpen much better. They add Duval. Okay, fine. He's just a guy. Um, although maybe a change of scenery helps him. And then they get Kevin Gossman, who will they needed another starting pitcher, and he's pretty solid. And I he's probably in a lot of in a lot of ways, I think he's he's a better pitcher than than Archer, who went to Pittsburgh. Um, I, I, I kind of like just like, kind of like Gossman like, better.
1: I, I... Adam Duvall is hitting two oh five. Yeah,
0: he is what he is. Yeah. I mean, that, that that one doesn't impress me as okay. much. I mean, and I didn't think they, they really needed him. Maybe he's just a bench guy for them. I think their outfield is pretty pretty. Yeah, although decent, he wouldn't be right? the
1: first outfielder to go to Atlanta and, and somehow figure it out. It, I feel like right. every guy that goes there all of a sudden turns into a quasi all star. So I mean, who so, the hell knows? Maybe. So they got
0: they got five players here, uh, right? At you know, at or before just before the deadline. Um, and what did they give up? They give up nothing. They gave up one legitimate prospect, um, in uh, that kid Art Encarnacion, uh, Jean Carlos Encarnacion, um, uh, the infielder. Um, he's he was I think like ranked I don't know 14 in their in their uh, farm system. So he was even lower than Kilame, who the Phillies traded for Cabrera. Um, And they give up a bunch of nothing else, just some, just some, um, they give, they give up some international trade money, but they had, they had so many sanctions on them after they screwed up, screwed up last year that it's just almost like, well, it doesn't matter because we can't spend that money anyway. Um, So that's what they traded instead and were able to get some nice pieces. So I thought that they were, they got creative and did the right thing. The Phillies go and get, As Drupal Cabrera, okay, fine, good offense, terrible defense, which is like you know they're they're kind of going all in on winning with bad defense. Um, Wilson Ramos, who may or may not play until September first, according to Matt Clintack today, and Aaron Loop, who we've already kind of briefly discussed, is just a guy. Um, All right, well let's let's just I'm going to say say that the Braves I'm going to say that the Braves did better and didn't give up as much as the Phillies did.
1: I don't know. Okay. So let me go through this. Let's just, I don't want to go too deep into it, but let's go through each of these guys one by one. Okay. Just very briefly, uh, maybe five minutes tops. And then I'm going to pose a very simple question to you once we're done that. All right. So ready? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, Let's start with Wilson Ramos. Um, Wilson Ramos comes in uh, hitting 297, 346 on base percentage, 488 slugging percentage, um, 14 home runs. You look at the Phillies catchers, they're currently first in the National League in pass balls allowed, second in wild pitches allowed. Um, Obviously, terrible defense uh, from from both of those guys uh, this season um, in Andrew Knapp and Jorge Alfaro. Uh, Wilson Ramos is not a great or an exceptional defensive catcher by any means. Uh, I believe he's actually negative six defensive run saved this season. Uh, So he's not... He's not a, the, the guy that's a light-hitting, terrific defensive catcher. However, he is better than, than both of those guys that they currently employ. Uh, the offensive upgrade should be significant. Uh, we had talked a little bit about this earlier, and you would seem to kind of suggest that it wouldn't be markedly different. Do, do you kind of still – are you still on that path? Because when I look yes. at the numbers, I, I just think that Wilson Ramos is it's, actually a sure. legitimate middle of the order of the,
0: sure. of the It's easy it's easy to look at the numbers that he's putting up this year. Yeah, he's having a good year. And I'm not gonna sit here and tell you he's not. He's certainly having a good year. Um, but he's if you go, he's if you look at his career, he fluctuates a lot. He's very streaky, he's up and down. Um, and if you look at his overall career numbers, and he's been in the league five years longer than Jorge Alfaro, but his career numbers compared to Alfaro's career numbers are very similar with the percentages. Batting average, on base, slugging, OPS. They're very similar. So again, they gave up nothing for him, right? So I'm okay. I, I'm not. I'm not poo pooing that this this trade for Wilson Ramos by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not poo pooing it. Um, so because you really didn't give up anything for him, and and there's and it's a it's it's a low risk, high reward. If he continues to hit like he was in Tampa, then it's a then it's a boon.
1: I mean, there's um, a reason he was supposed to start the All Star game for the American League a couple weeks ago. I mean, yeah, he but, really but, has had a good year.
0: But okay, so well, if you know Tampa got ne- next to nothing for him, right, right? Because I mean, I mean he's not I'm,
1: playing for the next month, and right. it, well, he has no control the beyond this season. So you're not going to give up anything for him. I'm tell you what: if if Wilson Ramos was starting tomorrow night for the Phillies, this would have required a significant prospect. I mean, this right. would have uh, been one a, of the uh, most capable offensive players that moved at the deadline. Right. Well, the question that the thing of it is is that you know okay,
0: all right. So you, you're taking a, you're taking a chance that after he's going to be out of the lineup for you know, six weeks that he's suddenly going to continue hitting at the pace that he was right. hitting at. And,
1: and that that's a fair concern. I mean, the reason why I like the move, though, is for one of the reasons you just said. They gave up absolutely nothing. Right. And also, if you if you look at how this is going to play out, this isn't bumping anybody out of the, the 25-man roster. I mean, it is still going to be what you had employed prior to this trade. It's going to be Andrew Knapp. It's going to be Jorge Alfaro for the next – four weeks until he comes back. It's going to
0: be that way for good. I mean, I I think... Yeah, and then the
1: rosters expand in September. So all three of them are going to be on on this roster down the stretch. And, I mean, uh, it's easy to crap on Andrew Knapp, who, by the way, is is a terrible defensive catcher. I mean, I, I cannot overstate how poor he is behind the plate he's a bad receiver he costs the phillies a, a ton of strikes he has no arm and to that end let's talk about this real quick in the thirteenth inning of the game, uh, game against the red sox on monday night um, Luis garcia comes in and he does an absolutely terrible job of holding the runner on first base they easily steal the bag and then that runner scores on the ground rule double and game over I wonder if the Phillies did not double switch, uh, or I'm sorry, not switch or pinch hit uh, Nap for Alfaro, and it was Alfaro behind the plate, if the Red Sox still would have taken that same chance in that spot. I think that the Red Sox know that he cannot throw, they swiped that bag, and then it had a direct impact on that run's ability to score. I don't think that teams respect Andrew Knapp's defensive abilities whatsoever, and he is a huge liability. However, the reason why I do still think he has a role in this team is if you look, and again, arbitrary sample here, but over his last 68 plate appearances dating back to June 20th, dude is posting a 918 OPS. So at the very least, he still does provide you a decent option off the bench from the left side. So it does create depth. Remember that we spent weeks talking about how abysmal this bench is and how it's completely and utterly worthless. It gives you nothing. Well, now all of a sudden, you look at the options that Kapler has. There are there are some pieces now that are going to be sitting on this bench in the month of September, even if Ramos doesn't have the same type of production he did prior to getting injured.
0: Yes, you're right. You're right. They're, the bench is improved, but not like I don't think it's like significantly improved.
1: I think look, you don't, if, think I don't that, think, you don't think <laughs> this bench is significantly improved from Trevor Plouffe, Mitch Walding and <laughs> Jesmuel Valentine? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, come okay, on, man. It is,
0: but it's but what is it's not like they went out and got veteran guys to improve the bench. Your bench is now going to be Scott Kingery roman quinn and andrew knapp i mean it's it it's Yo, it's well, real, it's real still quick, not let's, let's talk about blowing things out
1: of the water right now you got me off track but you want to talk about roman quinn real quick three hits tonight guy flies <laughs> i like roman did you quinn. see did you see how nice it is to watch a ball get shot into the gap and just a, a player get a good read not even the speed element of it just get a good read on the ball and coast to it and make a Make a very difficult play look easy. I mean, how many times have we seen that this season? Like maybe two or three times? Uh, he's he's good out there. Arm's yeah. not great, but the, the amount of ground that he covers and the reads that he gets off the bat are, are fantastic.
0: I, I, yeah, but again, you're the, so the whole point I'm trying to make here and you're right about Roman Quinn. I, I don't disagree. I, love I think him. Roman I think Roman Quinn makes the a, a very good 25th man on your roster, especially if you're going to be in the playoffs. He's a guy who can come in and give you defense. He can come in and pinch run and steal a bag for you or score a run. You know, score from from first on a on a gapper or whatever the case might be. So I mean, I think that there's real value in Roman Quinn. But the the, the point that I'm making is is the Phillies didn't give up anything. To get what they got, and so we could sit here and praise them for that, and that's a that's a that's fine. You could take that ta- that tact, and it be and you wouldn't be wrong to say, oh, good job by Matt Klintak for getting these three players and really only had to give up one, you know, decent prospect in and Which, if you even, know me, I'm not exactly
1: yeah. at the front of the go Matt Klintak line here. Right. You know, I've been pretty so critical yeah, no, of him,
0: and, and that's fine. It's it's, it's 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 you're not wrong to have that take. Okay, but I will sit here and tell you that. If you just tried a little bit more, if you were just willing to part with a little bit more, you could have done better. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, If the real push, if the real thing was we're going to try and win this year and we're going to go out and make moves to try and win this year, you could have given up a little bit more and gotten more than what you got. And that's, and that's why I'm, I'm a little
1: disheartened. Today. I don't. I don't n- disagree with that. I, I think that that's yeah. a fair point. I don't think that any of these moves are going to, you know, uh, stir up the fan base. And and I don't know. I mean, it, they really. It could be three nothing, three nothing moves. I mean, maybe Ramos does come back and he struggles in September, and you go, well, that wasn't really. That didn't help him. Uh, that was a that was a zero move. And maybe as Drupal Cabrera, you know, can't remove the, the stench of New York Met off of him uh, over the over the final two months here. But I look at Cabrera, and he's the next guy I want to talk about. I just think, yes, he's flawed, and, and certainly the defense is is terrible. And I actually think even if you've watched him over the first couple games that he's played here, he doesn't move around all that well. Um, it looks like he kind of struggles to did, touch his toes, to be honest. He with did you. have he did have a hustle double. Yeah, yes, he, he yes, did. Yeah. Was, uh, but you like, can definitely see that. that the, uh, you see certainly that the range is limited. I, I just look at it, and it's not that I love Asdrubal Cabrera, but I I can't watch Scott Kinger anymore, and. He has a – what's his OPS down to now? 600? Yeah, Yeah. 600. You're getting a 200-point improvement with Cabrera. He he has pop, which Kingery does not have. Uh, He gets on base, which Kingery does not do um he he hits for some average which kingry also uh does not do i just think that the offensive upgrade there though he's not a a terrific player is is so significant that it's going to pay dividends for this lineup and and so i i liked of all the moves i actually liked this move the best uh even if it cost them killamay
0: yeah it was probably the best of the three moves in my mind i agree with you there i agree with you there um but, you know, it's kind of an inauspicious beginning for him. I mean, I don't know. Three for, what was he? Three for 19 in four games?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to overreact to that. I mean, this is this is it's a guy just, that's been a, a pretty okay. decent hitter for, for the last couple of seasons. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It, yeah. I mean, it's okay. I hear you. I it's mean, all right. he, he's not Manny Machado. You know what I mean? Like, he's no, not going to be the guy not. that comes in and just it changes everything. But I do think that uh, given what they're. Their options were um, a week ago. I, I think that this was probably the, the best move that they could have made um, under the circumstances once they, they decided to kind of sit out the, at the big boys' table, you know, when they didn't go after any of the heavy hitters. I, I think that this was probably the move they had to make, and I, I think it was a, a decent one, and we'll see how it plays out. Um, <laughs> I know you're very excited about Aaron Loop. Uh, Aaron Loup <laughs> uh, posted a, a 4.54 ERA this season with the Blue Jays, a 3.61 FIP. So his Stun. FIP is better than his ERA. Tell me where you've heard that one before. Tommy, Tommy Hunter. Hunter. Uh, 10.6K per nine in 35, two thirds innings pitched. Um, I'll tell you what you look at, and I think that he is here for the sole purpose to try to get out left handed hitters. Um, they are hitting 268 against him this season with a 6.90 OPS, which is fine. He has not been dominant against left-handers this season. Over a seven-year career at the Blue Jays, uh, lefties have posted a 619 OPS. So historically speaking, he's been pretty good against lefties. He has been an utter disaster uh, against right-handed hitters this season, and he has faced quite a few of them with the Blue Jays. Uh, He was not a a lefty-only guy, and uh, righties hit 317 with a 386 on base percentage and a 558 slugging percentage against the loop this season. So uh, I do not think that he is here uh, to, to pitch complete innings. I think that he is here for situational left-handed purposes only. Um, we've talked about volatility and performance of bullpen pieces uh, quite a bit this season. And I think that the Phillies are looking at, at peripherals that suggest that he's been a little bit better than what his traditional numbers would suggest. And hopefully he can get hot over the final two months. You have anything you want to add to that?
0: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to poo poo this. I think it's, it's, it is what it's just a a guy for now. Um, I think if you look into August and you see um, the giants fall completely out of the race, like a guy like Will Smith might suddenly become available on the waiver uh, for a waiver trade, question is, will the Phillies be able to, you know, put the claim in ahead of uh, another team that might need him? Um, so there's, you know, there's that possibility. And, you know, same thing with with I wonder why Jake Diekman didn't get moved. I think like he did. I was... believe
1: that Arizona acquired him. Oh, Did they right get ahead him? Of, yeah, I believe they did. Ah, uh, um, I missed that. OK. Yeah. I believe that uh, he and uh, Ziegler both ended up out there. I know yeah, Ziegler Brad ended Ziegler up out and there. Were both so what the, so with okay, that so that then yeah. what did
0: Arizona? What did Arizona trade for Deakman?
1: Uh, <laughs> you see what know. I'm saying? Would you like to know? Here that? we go Let's again. Say, here we go. Yeah,
0: um, I, it, it makes my argument even
1: better. Then I didn't even know about minor it. I, I missed that trade. We Chae Hwang. Yes, yes. Okay. I don't know. I will be honest with you. I have not done a thorough scouting report on Wee Chae Hang Wang. <laughs> Come on, uh, Bob. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I don't know. Deakman's <laughs> been awesome against lefties this year. Actually, I'm sorry. You know what, Deakman. What I thought, um, and I, I looked this up the other day. I was like, oh, you know, Diekman, he's got to be really tough on lefties. He's actually been better against right-handed hitters this season than he has been against lefties. Uh, pretty bizarre. You know, you would think that he would be almost impossible to hit from the left-hand side, but yeah, his numbers this season has been, been like significantly better against right-handed hitters. Um, yeah, so, you know, he's a guy, big strikeouts, um, really erratic. He really is sort of the same pitcher that he was when he left. He, w- he would either be lights out or he had a couple blow-up appearances for them this season. Uh, down sure, in I Texas, mean, it, but I again, don't know. Yeah, Jake Deepman probably would have been better. I, I just don't know. And again, I we're doing this on the fly here. I, I can't tell you what Huang was in terms of organizational rankings. Uh, you know, for the Diamondbacks. Well, I, I can't imagine it was all that high.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm I just saying. I mean, I yeah. I can't imagine it was all the, all that high. And it, it just 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 begs a question. Like again, I think that the Phillies got fell in love a little bit too much with their own um prospects i it's just just my take on it. I think that they kind of did. I think that that was why they made the moves that they made and not not other moves that could have been made you know just slightly better i didn't i didn't need them to go out and get a stud player and give up blow up the farm, but you can you know you got to be able to move somebody and get in there by the way, Wewe hang or whatever his yeah. hell his name is. Uh, no, not in the, not moved into the top thirty of the Texas Rangers system.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> just, maybe, just say, just, I just hey, want to listen, throw that out there. Maybe those scouts were up in Toronto and they said, Aaron Loop. I'll tell you what, <laughs> he's the guy for us. Hey, you never know, right? Uh, you know, we'll say, see. we'll say. See. <laughs> I like checking. when I people just tell sure. me, like I, I like when people tell me on Twitter, like because you know, I, I, I think that I'm fair. I, I can be tough at times, obviously, and I'll start barking and complaining about things. But when guys are playing well or, or someone's you know doing something positive, I try to highlight that as well. And people always say to me, like, well, you know, this team. This team got Joe Blanton in 2008, you know, and, and everyone kind of scoffed at that. And look at how that worked out. I'm like, so is your premise that they, they got the inferior guy and it worked out in 2008, so that means it's going to work out 10 years later? is like, is that what we're grasping here? You know, like, it, it's, it's a weak argument. I, I'll tell you, Aaron Loop is, is, is sort of underwhelming, uh, I'll be honest. But if, if it means that I get less Adam Morgan, um, then, then I, it can't be a bad deal.
0: I don't know if you're going to get less out of Morgan. I just How think that. How about like less out Morgan
1: against lefties when it matters?
0: Maybe. Uh, if I'm not
1: even getting that, then then the hell with it. I'm out. But <laughs> no,
0: I'm just saying. Like I mean, if if you want to just sit there and say, okay, well, this is going to be, um, um, you know, this is going to be when you, uh, you're going to see, you know, we're going to play the Braves and you know the Braves got uh, Freeman and Markakis in their lineup and that's you know we got to get the lefties against them. All right. So in one inning you get one of them, in the other inning you're getting the other. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way, that's just the way it's going to be, right? I mean, you're you know that's probably the way it's going to happen. I can't I can't imagine it's going to be any other way. So I All mean, right. remember Hobie Hobie Milner was the guy who was going to get get these guys out in the beginning of the yeah, season.
1: Hobie Milner, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that experiment didn't last too long. All right, so no. we, we went through these these trade deadline acquisitions, and you are clearly. Um, Underwhelmed. What would you give? And and people like stuff like this. If you had to assign a grade to the Phillies trade deadline performance, what would it be? C plus. C
0: plus. Okay. I mean, I don't hate it. I'm I'm not sitting here, you know, whining and complaining over it. Like, oh my god, this is terrible. I think that they. I think that there were improvements. Yes, but I don't think that. I think they were along the margins. I don't think they were impact improvements major impact improvements so you know i give them credit for not giving up anything and adding three major league players i mean really i mean that's what they ended up doing they added three major league players um at least you know one with playoff experience um and i guess i guess ramos had some playoff experience with the nationals although they didn't win anything but um yeah but nothing sits there and really moves the needle for me
1: All right, now my follow-up question, and this is the money question. Uh, Knowing what you know now about the Washington Nationals, the Atlanta Braves, and the Philadelphia Phillies, who's winning the NL East?
0: That's a tough question. I think it's going to be either the Phillies or the Braves. Um, I I so want to say the Phillies. I so want to say the Phillies. But. I just can't can't with the lineup. I just can't. And, And. I just I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Atlanta, and that's not to say that. Well, now that, I know not what to I'm that... this
1: podcast; it's going to be called Anthony Hates the Phillies.
0: That's so. <laughs> 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 good. That's good. I give you complete uh, permission can, to can do I that. Be honest no, with
1: you? so so um, I think I even said it earlier when I brought up the question about the Nationals, and I said, you know, like I, I guess I probably, I not that I expect them to win. I'll, I'll be honest with you; I, I think the Nationals are going to win the division. So, that, that's fine. Yeah. That's
0: fine. I uh, you can you can think that too, and I, you're you're not crazy to think that. But I mean, I I just buy the story. Like I don't think reporters put out stuff about the I, locker I agree, room being a disaster. But you know, you you win to, six just games just in a
1: row, and all of a sudden, you might not hate the guy across from you so much anymore. He doesn't seem quite so annoying after he gets the game winning hit, or you know, he rips three yeah. home runs. You but, say that's ah. why. That's why I said, talk to me in two weeks. Yeah. Let's no, see where they're at in two weeks. Okay. And, right. and then if they're if they're if
0: they're you know still hanging around, they're still within a couple of games at that point after getting through that rough stretch, then I'm going to say you, you might be right, Bob. You, you might be right. The Nationals might pull this thing out because they have the best, they have the most talent on paper. Um, I, now does this when by me picking the Braves does that pre- preclude me from saying the Phillies don't get a wild card spot? No, I think that the Phillies can. I. I <laughs> I had them at 85 wins beginning of the season. They're probably going to be a little bit above that. 87, 88 is probably going to be their final number. That could that could be enough. That could be enough to get this the you know, one of the wild card spots and and that would be great, you know, get in the playoffs and see what happens.
1: All right, so you you said that you uh, aren't real big on the offense, and I certainly understand that, and I totally agree with you. One of the reasons that I uh, am not so big on the uh, Phillies winning the National League East is because of their defense, and you saw that certainly on Monday night with the misplay by Odubel Herrera in center field. It was just the latest of, of another mind-numbing uh, blunders that this defense seems to make day in, day out. Um, Sports Info Solutions uh, has periodically throughout the course of the season updated us on uh, how many runs saved uh, each individual team has had this year uh, through their defensive play. And the most recent update from them uh, had the Phillies dead last in the league in defensive runs saved at negative 88, which is 20 runs worse than the second Worst team, which is the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles, who check in with negative 68 defensive runs saved this season. Holy smokes. So, you know, we've, we've cited them uh, on this show a couple times, and, you know, we've kind of speculated, well, this is what goes into it. And we, we've talked about how they arrive at this, and we will start this by saying that clearly um, defensive metrics are not uh, absolutely accurate all the time. Um, however... Uh, I reached out to Sports Info Solutions and I talked to a guy uh, named Mark Simon uh, who does really good work over there and uh, you can get follow him on Twitter at Mark A. Simon Says. Um, and take a look at his uh, his work. He's, he's a really sharp guy. I said, listen, if if you don't mind, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about why the Phillies grade so poorly and uh, I took down some notes uh, from our conversation and I just want to share them with you and, and Anthony I guess if you want to chime in if, if you kind of disagree or if there's anything that kind of sh- you know stands out to you uh, feel free to do so so let, let's just begin here by saying that their defensive run save is so bad in, in broad terms because they they don't have a single spot on the entire diamond in which they're above average at turning batted balls into outs, and these were his words. There's nobody that's really good at it. There's nobody that's a, an above league average defender, and I don't think that that's necessarily surprising to anybody listening to this show. Um, they've been terrible at getting outs on grounders and liners when can, they shift. Um, a lot of that happened in April, so they have been better can since you say, then.
0: Can, can you say that again, I'll please? Say that. Yeah, they've been terrible Just at getting please, outs on grounders, nice and, and liners nice and, sl- and slow. Wait, Bob. Wait. Shift when they Yes. Shift when they shift. They're not good at it, right? They're not good at shifting. Yeah, That's what they're saying. Okay, I just I just want to make sure that it's not just me because, you know, I'm only seeing it with my eyes.
1: Yeah, so I actually did a little research myself, and, and okay. this was separate of our conversation with him. Um, according to Baseball Savant, which is basically the stack cast uh, tracker, the Phillies are eighth in Major League Baseball. Uh, in shifts. They've done it 937 times, um, which is 23.7% of the time. So they are not as extreme as teams like the Astros, but they are still in the top third of the league in overall shifts implemented. it's um, crazy.
0: I, I, it feels like they do it more than yeah, 23% yeah. of the time. <laughs> um,
1: and according to Fangraphs, uh, some further research, they've allowed the 13th highest average um, on uh, balls in play against the shift, which is uh, 292. And they have... Uh, Allowed a six eighty four OPS uh, when they've so, shifted this year, which is also I, the middle of the pack. So honestly, when can, they, can
0: I stop? Let me just stop you just for one second, sure. and then I'll let you continue. So the, their batting average against when they're shifting is two ninety two, and that's thirteenth
1: in 13th the league. Thirteenth in the league, yeah. Then why the hell is anybody shifting? If there's twelve teams worse than that. Well, keep in mind it's balls hit in play on the shift, so. yeah, because strikeouts strikeouts don't count. Strikeout bearable here, oh, so okay. 292 well, yeah, but, is not not. Brutal. How
0: much? How much do you think a shift affects the strikeout?
1: Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I, I mean, you know what I am saying. Just saying like, that, like, if you factor in strikeouts, though, when they shift, I mean, these averages are going to drop down into the lower two hundreds, though. Or you know, maybe. no,
0: uh, fair enough, I get it, I get it, but everybody strikes out in baseball nowadays, so like. To me, having a team hit 292 against you when you're shifting is not good, and yet that's 13th. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just, no. Yeah. I'm, just I mean, being, I'm just being old-fashioned
1: again. Geez, what do us old people know? Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> so, um, actually, I'll tell you what, just so you, so you know here, um, the Astros have shifted more than any other team in baseball this year, 39.5% of the time. They've had 1,548 shifts. So they are the most <laughs> extreme measure of that. Um, all right, so just, just back to this. And he talked a little bit about individual players. He says if you really want to know who sticks out and that has, has driven this number to the point of absurdity, uh, we'll, we'll start here. Um Guys don't make good throws to, to first base. Uh, that was one of the things that they had kind of graded out and said the throws are c- consistently bad to the first baseman, and uh, two of the biggest culprits were Mike Franco and Scott Kingery. Uh, Scott Kingery has been better on this front uh, in recent weeks, uh, but his first month or so at shortstop, he was particularly bad in terms of throw accuracy. Could,
0: could it be that they're playing a little bit out of their normal positions?
1: Yeah, he actually said we. He said based on the research that he did that he couldn't say that with certainty, but that it wouldn't be outside of the, the realm of possibility. Okay, just, um, okay, that's good. Good Good info. Go ahead, continue. Uh, Knapp uh, has been uh, brutal. <laughs> uh, his words here, he kills them. Uh, he had noted that he cannot block pitches and and doesn't get called strikes that other catchers do. Uh, so pitch framing has been a huge issue for Andrew Knapp. Uh, Mike Alfranco made a really nice play, an important play tonight, uh, going to his left uh, that helped prevent the... Uh, from the help prevent the Red Sox from potentially tying the game in the sixth inning. Uh, but he has been bad at balls both down the line and in the hole this season, according to Simon. And Reese Hoskins, uh, though he's been excellent offensively, has really struggled in left field, which, again, I don't think is a surprise to anybody. Uh, he rates poorly on both balls, hit to the deepest and shallowest parts of the park, and he often allows runners to advance. Uh, more frequently relative to other left fielders. Uh, so those are the biggest issues with the Phillies defense. Any any surprises there? Anything that uh, you know you want to add to that?
0: Nope. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think a lot of that is is in line with um, what we've with been what saying. What we've been saying. And and I appreciate him and uh, Sports Info so- Solutions for for digging that up for us. Um, one other and the note- reason
0: I the reason I appreciate it m- most. And you know they do all the work, and you know God bless them for taking the time to do it 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 validates what I'm watching, right It validates what I'm seeing, and I now it lets me know that I'm not crazy. it lets me know that I'm not jaded you know to to a yeah you're not uh, just some
1: old school guy that has a right. prejudice against the shift
0: right it's it's what I'm saying like i there's something there that I'm seeing. And I keep saying it, and I keep listening to people tell me that oh, it's because you you just want it to be the old fashioned way. You don't, you're not embracing the new analytics, and I'm like, no, that's that's not it. And I keep saying that, and I feel like I'm I'm just like shouting into the wind. Um, so that's why I appreciate it the most because it's it's a validation that we're we are seeing what we're seeing. It's not you know, and we're being told something else. Okay, we're being, you gotta remember every time. And I don't. I'm not trying to rip the manager here, but we're being told differently, and that's why I I worry that it's not the right approach to take with this with this this fan base. Don't lie to us. Tell us the truth. You know, if something goes wrong, just tell us it went wrong. Don't try and sugarcoat it all the time. That's. That's a, that's a no-no in this town. But and anyway, it was, go ahead. It was, either, uh,
1: it was either them or it was uh, Baseball Savant that had provided uh, this little nugget as well. The Phillies are one of four teams this season that have uh, lost runs saved uh, on shifts. So while their numbers are in the middle of the pack, uh, they do great out as one of the worst teams at shifting uh, in all of baseball. Because it's uh, too extreme. Again, it's not
0: when, – when you say like the Astros are the most extreme – they're the most extreme in the number of times that they shift. I, I would, I would argue.
1: They've done. I will say they have done some pretty goofy things this and year. And they I have.
0: Mean, they you, have you, done you, some stuff. You have we,
1: seen some stuff on like Twitter where people screenshot it and you go, "What <laughs> the hell is that?" So yeah,
0: I know. yeah. The Astros are a little wackadoo, but the Phillies, I think, and again, I don't want to get into the whole argument because we talked about it last week. But they, when I say they're extreme, it's not that they're shifting. That's the problem. I think that they overshift, and I think that's where they get hurt. I think they, they, they're just relying too much on the, the concept of it. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe their pitchers aren't putting the ball where uh, – who knows why the shift isn't working. Maybe the, maybe the pitchers need to hit different locations for the shifts to work and they're not hitting them. And we don't know that. Like, we don't know what the, what's being called from right. the dugout. Like, we don't, we don't have any real clue there. And no one's going to come out and say publicly, oh, geez, this pitcher should have thrown the ball on in the inner half and he threw it over, out over the plate and that's why it beat the shift. I mean, that's that's a certainly a possibility. Like so, you know, it might not be the 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 fielders. Sometimes it might be on the pitcher. Uh, who knows? But the fact of the matter is, is that I think that that's the real crux of it. That they're just
1: overdoing it. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, don't know. Mark actually wrote a piece for the Athletic last week in which he talked about the Phillies and and can a team with such a bad defense reach the postseason? And he pointed to the 2005 New York Yankees, uh, who were the worst team in terms of defensive runs saved to reach the postseason. Uh, they were negative 120 runs uh, saved, smokes. and and which is obviously terrible. However, they were a top-two offense in the American League in several key categories that season, which the Phillies most certainly are not in the National League this year. Uh, that team did win 95 games, and they lost in the ALDS to the Angels. Um, Of the other 11 teams to finish worse than negative 80 defensive run save over the last 15 years, those teams have averaged 65 wins. So what the Phillies are doing right now is uh, certainly an anomaly. Uh, They are uh, remarkable in that regard, and it does make me wonder if they can sustain this for another you 50, 55 games down the stretch, and I I certainly have concerns about that. It has to get better, and I don't know that playing as Drupal Cabrera – on an everyday basis is is really going to help things all that much. So, this is something that I do find worrisome uh as as we move into August here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do you, how do you like that? <laughs> it's been <laughs> you know? it's been worrisome since yeah. since April. Yeah. Um, so when you just see historically speaking, though, that yeah yeah when you don't catch the ball, bad things tend to happen, and I think it just <laughs> makes it all the more remarkable how well uh, not only not only the starting pitching, but how well the bullpens pitched in the month of July. And and not for nothing, this one overlooked, and it was in my notes earlier on, and we just kind of skipped it. We talked about how good Nola and Arietta were in Boston uh, over the last two days. Um, bullpen was very good as well six and a third innings pitch they only allowed one earned run and it came in the 13th inning of uh, Monday night's game so again very good July for that group there we'll, and I'm sure with the addition of Aaron Lube that that'll you know really <laughs> push things to the top for them yeah yeah uh, okay so what do we got one last thing right
0: yeah one last thing and this one boy Bob I'm, I'm curious to see where you fall on this because I might I think I'm gonna alienate most of our listeners Awesome. With my with my take on this, so pretty uh, good amount of um, instances in Major League Baseball recently where players are getting um, uh, called out for old tweets that they had when they were teenagers um, that were uh, discriminatory, um, mostly towards. Uh, the gay and lesbian community um but there have there were a couple in there that were racial as well um and the players that i'm talking about are um, josh hater from the brewers um who had his come out uh, during the all-star game um and then you had uh, uh sean newcomb from the braves and his was released oh lo and behold the day he almost threw a no hitter um, and then you had Trey Turner, um, who, who came out. I think it was the same day or the next day, but it was by the same people who unearthed the the Nukem one. Um, so, I mean, that's that's three guys in a very short time span. Um, and of course, I, I, you know, it's it's bad. You should never ha- type. You should never write any of these things at any age. Um, you know, it, it really kind of shows that professional sports are still kind of the, you know, boys club, right? And it just doesn't they are not ready to, you know, be more worldly and be more accepting. It's good old fashioned locker room it's, talk. Right. It is it's exactly, it's exactly what it is, okay? So it's it's wrong, it shouldn't happen. That said, I personally have a greater problem with the people who are spending their time scouring years-old tweets or Twitter feeds uh, of these players to try and find anything that they can latch on to, and then saving it. This is what's even more disgusting to me. Saving it for a time when that player does something really good. To try and take them down, it happens with um, athletes in the NFL when they're getting ready to be drafted. All of a sudden on draft night, here comes out the video of the guy smoking marijuana, you know, four or five, six years ago, you know, on on YouTube or something, right? Whatever, whatever the case might be. And these people just sit on it and wait and wait and wait because they want to get somebody. And that's that is almost to me more disgusting than the fact that some kid at age 16 or 17, when they don't know better, when they don't really quite understand, when they're still kids, they're still young. And, and you know, we were young once, and we did stupid stupid stuff at age 16 and 17. Heaven forbid we had social media at, at that age, okay? Oh, my God, how horrible would it have been? I
1: had MySpace <laughs> 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 For, like... I- <laughs> I never went on it, but I had it uh, okay. and when I got to college. Right. Facebook came out. So okay, it.
0: all right. So, but that's that, my point. Like, it would have been it would have been just as bad back then, if not worse. But heaven, you know? And, and I am not trying to defend these guys and say, oh, let's give them a break. They have they have to understand that what they said at the time was not right, but to vilify them now as they're as they are adults and professional athletes and much more awa- uh, aware and alert of the world around them than they were when they were 16 or 17 years old and think about what they think about what they were then okay these were young kids who were trying to who were elite athletes for their age who spent 24 hours a day 7 days a week in um you know in uh, gyms in um, uh you know in working out in batting cages or you know off of pitching mounds with with special trainers and this and that, they were not social for the most part they they didn't have that because in order to be an elite athlete you now in in high school are training year-round there is no time off there's no time to socialize and so the social your socialization comes from social media That's the only place you have to socialize with people, and you're socializing with some people who are friends, but mostly total strangers.
1: All right, well, let me just... So I have an issue with it. I I I have an issue with it. I do understand where you're coming from on this, but, like, okay, so you're telling me that, you know, a 17-year-old junior in high school that's a a big-time baseball recruit he, he doesn't have the same interaction he might not be going out at night with his friends like maybe some of those other kids are I, I don't know that that's true but i'll I'll go with that I'll, you know for for the purposes of this exercise but so does that mean that he doesn't know what's right and what's wrong and what not to tweet because he's he's been in a batting cage all day like I guess that's the only thing that that I look no at. I go, like, so
0: so let me just say, let me just point out so my my thought process here is that you're so in other words you know we always tell people what did you live on Were you living under a rock where you know where did you were, you know did you, you know you talk to people and say how have you never seen this show or how have you never heard of this band because you know, what 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 kind of world did you grow up in and it's very you know they, they move through life at that age normal kids move through life at that age my kids move through life at that age with blinders on okay so now imagine how much more Unaware of your surroundings you are when you are so intensely focused on something that you're doing and I'm not just saying baseball players or, or athletes, but it, this could just as easily fall to people who are, you know, uh, you know, training to be a ballerina uh, or train training for, um, for really for anything. I mean, it, 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 kids are so insulated. More so today than they ever were when we were like when we were growing up. We weren't insulated. We were we were socializing, Uh, even though we didn't realize it. We were we that was the difference. And kids are insulated. That doesn't make it right. And they need to understand that what they said and what they did was wrong. But to sit here and vilify them the way that they're and to wait just for that right moment, like the person who went and found Sean Newcomb's commentary on Twitter. Okay. Wouldn't it have been better if they kind of suggested at a time when they first found it? that maybe that oh this needs to be this needs to be addressed
1: okay well, why let are me, you let me why
0: why are you waiting until he goes eight and two-thirds no hitter and and is getting headlines for something he did well to take the guy down
1: because there's a there's a gotcha element to it right you're, you're taking him at the height of his popularity at the point in which everyone's talking about him and you're looking to if you're that person expose what was said or what was tweeted now I do want to clarify this and this is one thing that I I don't know that that people fully understand about these search functions this isn't a guy that's saying let me look at everything that Sean Newcomb or Josh haters ever tweeted and I'm gonna see if I can find something bad it's incredibly easy actually on on the different uh, Twitter search platforms if you just type in their username and you Associate it with any keyword. So, uh, a derogatory uh, term for uh, homosexuals or anything that's racist, and you put the username in with the term, it will automatically bring up. Um, that that instance in which it was tweeted. So like a, a tweet from 2011 can be found with one push of a button. I mean, it really is that simple. So it's not like there's some guy sitting in a cave going back and scouring 10 years of tweets in order to find that one bad one that sticks out. It's remarkably easy to access those tweets with those words in it if they exist. I mean, it can literally be done in 10 seconds. So if you see that there's a guy doing something special and you go, wonder if he's ever tweeted uh, certain words and you put his username with that word it'll pop right up now the the other thing that kind of goes with it and the thing that kind of blows my mind and we can talk about the morality and the right and wrong of it in a minute but the thing that 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 I find kind of fascinating at this point is that teams when they sign athletes don't have a guy or make or agents or representatives don't say you're deleting your old Twitter account entirely, and you're making a new one. It, you're, you are going to be athlete person with your team name attached to it. You know, so you're going to be Wentz Eagles. You know, at Carson Wentz Eagles. That's what you are right now. And, and this is going to be the Twitter account that you have. And at the very least, I can't believe that these players don't go back and scrub their accounts. Now, that doesn't address the fact that they're tweeting this stuff in the first place. But I find it remarkable that any professional athlete at this point that's going to be on such a, a uh, you know, public forum and and be so well known and so easily accessible would have tweets like that that exist I mean if I were a professional athlete right now and I thought that there was even anything semi questionable that existed in my social media feeds I I just can't imagine not removing them at this point so it it perplexes me that any professional athlete could be caught with something of that nature in their social media feeds right now now with with that said, now I want to circle back to the morality issue of it. Um, I am I don't think it's right to condemn people that are 16, 17 years old and and firmly label them as bad people or evil people because of something that they said or tweeted when they were kids. Um, at the same time. You know, I don't know. I I don't I don't know what it was like to have Twitter at 17 years old, and and I certainly wouldn't sit here and say that like could it have been possible that I would would tweet something stupid. I, I don't know because I, I didn't I didn't have it at that time.
0: So, it, yeah, but it, but let me stop it just right there for one second. You coach kids, sure. So you're around them, so you know. So they you, say, you, yeah,
1: sure. People say stuff, you know,
0: and right. So, and no doubt so, so about, you it, but, know, but you know what they're like, but right? At, at so at you, you, time, you know how immature they are at that age
1: it's a i will say this though too i mean in, in, i think it's it's a shame uh and i I don't know. It's it's almost a little bit embarrassing to say this, but I think that in 2018, it, it, we have, it, there, the discourse has changed. Um, it is it's certainly something that is being much more talked about. Uh, issues in in all of these different uh, demographics have, have kind of been brought to the forefront, and I think that at, at certainly at this point there should be some level of awareness. No matter how hard you practice or how much time you spend in the gym, that you you, you can't use racial slurs on Twitter. You shouldn't. You know, use homophobic language on Twitter. I, like, it, it kind of, I guess, it's easy, right. it's easy for me to say, I guess, as a 32 year old, that that should be obvious at this point. But, you know, I don't know who this falls right. on. I don't know if it falls on the families, the friends, the communities, or what. But th- this stuff shouldn't be getting said in the first place. And clearly, that's right. the most pressing issue. But there's so You're many right. different layers to this. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing You're- story that this continues to happen.
0: You're right, and I'm going to say this. If Josh Hader tweeted this last week, last month, last year, then vilify the hell out of the guy because he should know better. Because he should know better, okay? But when he does it at 16, is it wrong? Yes. It's absolutely wrong. And, and you, could, you could tell him, hey, Josh, this is, you know, whatever. You should not have done this. You know, you gotta get rid of this. This is not. Good. This is not good. At, and you're right. The agent should have stopped them from stop, stop that account from ever being you know public or or the team once they drafted them should have you know whatever. You're right. All that stuff should have happened. But to sit here now, and I think was one of them was I'm not sure if it was him or Turner or or Newcomb. One of them was from 2009. Okay, we're talking almost a decade ago that there was a tweet. Where a derogatory word was used as a teenager, what does, does that make them racist? Does that make them, you know, homophobic? I don't know. I maybe they are, but maybe not. Maybe it's just something that you know you heard other kids say, and so you said it too. You know, not really paying attention to to what it is. And you're right. There's we are we do have a different discourse now, and these conversations are being had differently with kids than they were when we were when we were the same age. But I also can sit here and I cannot, cannot go back and say to somebody, "Oh, ten years ago, you said something stupid as a kid." So now I'm going to label you for the rest of your life as a as as a as a racist and homophobe because that's what people are going to remember about Josh Hader and and Sean Newcomb and maybe Trey Turner, although his wasn't as pop um, uh, publicized nearly as, as as much as the other two. But that's what people are gonna remember. Like, I'll tell you Rod- what I
1: was uncomfortable with. I, I will say this. When when Hader comes back and, and pitches in front of the home crowd for the first time post All-Star game when this all blew up, right? Like yeah. so I, I agree with you in the sense that if if you listen to teammates and you listen to the people that have associated with him and they say, Listen, he tweeted some stupid stuff everything that we know about this guy everything that we know about his personality and what's in his heart is is good and and we believe him and we we truly sense that he's remorseful and, and is embarrassed and ashamed of the things that he tweeted as a, a 15 16 17 year old then fine I mean I don't I agree with you that that people deserve that that second chance and and maybe you're a little bit skeptical about them but I don't think that you should you know bury them for life or, or in the long term forever associate them with those tweets. I I, I do think that that's that's true, but I, I guess the thing that made me a little bit uncomfortable when it came to haters specifically is that he gets a standing ovation in yeah. his first appearance back. And, like, I understand that we're willing to overlook a lot of things if, if a certain athlete is going to help us win. I think that a lot of us in the city did that with Michael Vick. Michael Vick. You know, yeah. um, I remember when he went to jail, I was like, well, this is re- repulsive. How could how could a guy do this? And who could ever root for this guy? And then, you know, he signs ahead of the 2009 season, and I go, I'm uncomfortable with this, but I guess we'll give him a shot. And then in 2010 he comes out and he plays at an MVP level. He says all the right things. And I go, man, man. He's really turned the corner. But if he was playing for the New York Giants, would I have felt like that? Right? Nope. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, may, maybe I would have. I'm not sure. I, I really don't know how I would have felt about it. But we tend to, as a society, overlook a lot of crap and a lot of flaws in our athletes if they're going to help us win games. And. I, I do understand that. But to give the guy a standing ovation on the heels of yeah, what wrong. was revealed was, was I thought, Thanks. insulting and, and insulting. a terrible look. I mean, yeah. what had he done to really, truly show remorse at that point? And, I mean, if, if nothing else, if you don't want to boo him or, or crucify him, then fine. But to, to give him a standing, ova- a standing ovation for what? Because someone unearthed some, some unflattering yeah. tweets? I don't know. I thought that that was yeah. a little bit strange, and, and that I was strange. That it, but
0: again, but that is that Josh Hader's fault, or is it, it that may not be
1: Josh Hader's fault? But is it, that the
0: people of Wisconsin, yeah. right? So the way I look at it, and this is where I'll leave it because we've you know rambled on long enough about this. So I grew up in West Philadelphia, and in the, in a real Italian neighborhood. As a matter of fact, the neighborhood that I grew up in, the this the grade school I went to at the time, um, and it it wasn't. It was soon after I, I got out of there that they actually changed it, but at the time. Um, you were it was required in order for you to go there that at least one of your parents had to be of Italian descent okay that's the that was the, the rule so the grade school that I went to every kid that I went to grade school with was white and was at least fifty percent Italian or partially Italian in some capacity okay that was the world that I knew then I went to high school at St Joseph's prep and I met kids from New Jersey, kids from the main line, kids from South Philly, kids from the Northeast, white kids, black kids, Asians. It didn't matter. Like we were all there together. And it was a it was culture shock for me at age 13 to go into an environment like that after having grown up for the first 13 years of my life with the same kind of people and the same beliefs and the same familial systems, okay? So it was different. And it's, is it possible that people, you know, where these guys grew up and the, wor- the world that they lived in at that time was very provincial and very closed to the rest of the world? Yeah. And then they go out and they you know they, get, they go play baseball somewhere. And all of a sudden now they're teammates with with Latin players and with um, African-American players and everything else. And all of a sudden it's, it's like, oh, wow, they're no different than me. And then you realize and you learn. You grow up and you figure it out. And you say, oh, geez, wow, <laughs> my God, I had no idea that's how you learn and that's how you change and that's how you find that you're not that you're not prejudicial you're not racist you're not homophobic you find these things out about yourself as you get older and you experience other you know other situations that you're in so to me you take your to jump to that conclusion just because you found this tweet from 8 9 years ago is asinine it's asinine. And I, it's 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 weird that I'm defending a player for, for saying the stuff that he says, that that he said, because I'm not defending what he said. I'm just saying that the reaction is too much, yeah, that and, we've and I understand overreacted that. And I,
1: and to this. I, I get what you're saying when you say, like, well, I, I can't believe I'm defending. And, that, and that's where my discomfort comes from. Like, I just have a hard time taking a stance in which it's, it's like, well, well, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't. We shouldn't be killing them for this. It's. It's still a terrible look. It, it's still. It reveals a problem on on some level. There. This. It's. It's a very complicated issue with several different layers, um, none of which we could adequately tackle in, in this conversation. But um, it's certainly problematic on several several different levels.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's something that can we could talk about forever. I mean, for you know hours on well, end.
1: I, I'm absolutely certain that th- this won't be the last time. Um, amazingly, you know, with a professional athlete, where we, <laughs> we right. see something like this happen. So yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Bob, we've set a record tonight. Yeah. Like the New York Mets, yeah. we've, we've set we've set a record. <laughs> There's
1: a lot going on. A lot going on.
0: <laughs> we carried the, we carried the podcast on for one hour and fifty one minutes tonight. <laughs>
1: Well, I was getting tweets from people. They're like, "Where's the podcast today?" Like, and that's good. I know. That's what we I know. That's exactly right. So let's hope that but, yeah.
0: let's hope that they have a lot of traffic on yeah, the way to so work I tomorrow.
1: Hope that there's uh, some traffic. <laughs> yeah, you can listen to us on the way to work and on the way home, and uh, in the shower. And still, and, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: and still might not get it all. Still might not get it. Well, anyway, uh, just, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, check out all the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Um, we have so, oh uh, so there's crossing broadcast with Russ and, and Kyle. There's uh, crossing broad FC with uh, Russ and Phil Kaidel. There's it's always uh, soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid um, and Dave Zeitlin. And then there's Snow the goalie with me and Russ. And we have we're gonna have we're gonna reveal some really big news about uh, Snow the goalie. All right. Yeah. That uh, that's gonna be coming up on the next pod. So look for that one.
1: stuff. I don't even know what it is. So. yeah, All it's right. it's, 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 it's
0: it's 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 interesting. We're gonna we're gonna have some uh, well. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want yeah, give, give away too many details. Here, yeah, and yeah, no, I'm not going to give it away here. Just, just you know, if you're interested in, in if you're a Flyers fan and, and you want to hear good hockey talk and uh, some really exciting stuff coming on that show.
1: Some guys uh, like 113 minutes into this podcast, and you're not even going to give him that. You're not even. Yeah, gonna give no,
0: no, no. He's going to have to wait till the. He's going to have to wait till the next snow. The goalie to find out what it is. It's a good cliffhanger. I like that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, for Bob Wankel. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying see you next week for Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast.